0: Good morning, crowd family. I'm so glad you can join us today. Listen, before we dive into the message, I want to take this time to thank Pastor Joey and my son, Julian, for preaching in my absence. They both did such an amazing, wonderful job. Thank the both of you, and I love you very much. And also to encourage you to choose a Bible reading plan to read the Bible in one year. There are many options. I'm using the Bible project plan and also the daily Bible uh, reading plan that we used several years ago. So choose a Bible reading plan so we all can read the Bible together in one year. And finally, I want to give a shout out to Josh and Faith and they uh, their newlyweds, blessings, congratulations, and love you both. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Corinthians. It's right after the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 is our text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, where in part one of our new series, Undivided. Everyone say that, undivided. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that the Bible is irrelevant for today, that it doesn't speak to their intellectual, technological, progressive culture. Well, whether people believe the Bible or not, it's up to date. It's contemporary, and the Bible is, in fact, relevant. In fact, most of the problems the Corinthians were dealing with, we're dealing with today. Listen, friends, this book has the answers to the basic moral problems facing our culture, our society today. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to give you an introduction and background to this book. And any time that I start a new series, I'm always giving you an introduction and background to the book in order to fully understand the true meaning of the book. You see, trying to cover a book of the Bible without an introduction and background is like trying to walk into the middle of a movie and trying to figure out the plot. So, the author of the book, the author of the book is Paul, and he wrote this book from Ephesus around A.D. 55. The location was in the city of Corinth. And I want to say several things about the city of Corinth. Historically, Corinth was declared a free city by Rome in 196 B.C. In 146 B.C., it rebelled and was totally destroyed by the Romans. In 46 BC, Julius Caesar rebuilt the city, restoring it to its former prominence, making it a Roman colony. Commercially, commercially, Corinth was the most important city in Greece. It was a wealthy, large city of 700,000 people and was located on a narrow piece of land dividing the Adriatic and Aegean seas. It was a powerful, commercial center for the Roman Empire, with two, two major seaports that attracted all kinds of people uh, from all over the Roman Empire. Politically, po- politically, excuse me, Corinth was the capital of Achaia, uh, a Roman colony, and the seat of the Pro Council. It uh, was a vital military center uh, commanding the trade routes of Greece. Culturally, culturally, Corinth prided itself in its culture and its intellectualism, it abounded in studios, workshops, hall uh, hall of rhetoric, schools of business, and philosophy. And there was a large amphitheater seating 18,000 and a concert hall seating 3,000. The famous Isthmian Games were celebrated nearby, and the city attracted some of the finest athletes in the Roman world. Half the population were slaves, and the other half were free. People of all races and and backgrounds and social status came to the city, and the Greeks delighted in nothing more than a healthy, even argumentative, philosophical, political, or religious argument. They were a fiercely independent people and very, very proud of their knowledge. In fact, they thought they knew everything. Spiritually? Spiritually, Corinth was one of the most wicked cities of its time, perhaps of all time, And two vices plagued this city. Greed for material things and lust of passion. Greed for material things and lust of passion. It was luxurious and immoral. It was a beautiful city, but it was also a city of prostitution and passion. Its religion was a worship of the goddess of sex. And the people worship Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Corinth was built on the base of a huge 1,850-foot rock called the Acro-Corinth. And right at the top, very top of the Acro-Corinth was the Temple of Aphrodite. Every evening, thousands of priests and, and priestesses, male and female prostitutes, would come down from the temple into the city streets to practice their trade. This Aphrodite cult was dedicated to the glorification of sex. Now, besides those who... Served in the temple. There were others who were high class prostitutes, cultured in the arts, music, and the ways of the world, and they were notorious, notorious throughout the Roman Empire. There was also another religious cult, and it was directed towards males. Inside the city was a temple of Apollo, who was the god of music, the god of song, and the god of poetry, but most of all, he was the ideal male beauty. New statues and pictures of Apollo in various poses of masculinity having homosexual relations with the boy god stimulated his male worshippers to physical displays of devotion and passion with the same sex. Corinth, therefore, was the center of homosexual activity. Corinth could be compared to today's cities like San Francisco, Las Vegas, um, Hollywood, or even New York. It was as bad or worse than any city in the world. It was the cesspool of the Roman Empire. But, someone say but, but the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrated that city, and many turned to God from their wicked ways to serve the living Christ. Good place to say amen. The church at Corinth, the church at Corinth, while Paul came to Corinth all alone to preach the gospel to this wicked city, And not to mention, not to mention, uh, a few weeks earlier, he had been horribly, horribly persecuted in Macedonia. So Paul arrived in Corinth without companions, without money, without friends, and no doubt his heart was burdened at the sight of all the godlessness and immorality in that city. We are told in chapter 2, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3, that Paul came into the city, and it says this, with weakness, fear, and with much trembling. But being true to his divine calling, he preached the basic message of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, to save sinful people. In fact, friends, a few of the high society people were saved. A few prominent people did respond to the gospel, such as Justice, who was a wealthy proselyte to Judaism, and also Crispus, who was a chief ruler of the synagogue in Erastus, who was a treasurer of the city of Corinth And Gaius, a wealthy man with a large home, and also uh, Chloe, a wealthy woman with uh, a household of slaves. So there were some from the higher rank of society and with political influence, but the vast majority of the converts there in Corinth, friends, came from the lower classes of society. Some were slaves, Uh, And some of these Corinthians had been saved out of a horrible, horrible, sinful life. And we'll see that later on in the series in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. You see, the gospel came into this immoral city uh, where where the people were outwardly appearing to be happy, uh, philosophically alert, materially prosperous, and sexually free, but they were not. They were miserable and in desperate need of a Savior in desperate need of forgiveness. And this is why the city of Corinth was God's target, target for the gospel. Now listen, these people had come out of corrupt, vile backgrounds. And and many of them perhaps were still struggling with their past, with much of the, the aftermath in their lives of these evil things. And they carried a lot of unsaved baggage into their new Christian experience. So this was the makeup of the Corinthian church. Now, I also want to point out that under satanic attack, ministry pressure, and spiritual depression, that Paul wanted to leave Corinth. But in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 10, 18, Acts 18, 9 through 10, the Lord appeared to Paul and told him, to get back into the city, because he had many people he wanted to save. So Paul stayed a year and a half at Corinth preaching and teaching, and then he moved on to another city to declare the gospel. Reason for writing to the church at Corinth? Well, while in Ephesus, uh, Paul received a report from the household of Chloe that there, were, uh, that there was great division, uh, strife, and dissension among the Corinthian Christians. Well, let's look at verse 11 of chapter 1 of here, 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 11. And it says, My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Now, friends, this book, uh, in this book, should I say, we find subjects dealt with such as the exaltation of human wisdom, the exaltation of men, divisions in the local church, sexual immorality, marriage, divorce, the single state, uh, the relationship of male to female, Uh, questionable practices, the, the place of women in the church, the true meaning of love, church conduct, the resurrection, and stewardship. Almost every part of life, both individual and corporate, is addressed in this book. Now, the Corinthian church was not primarily guilty of heresy, but was carnal, they were worldly, they were were fleshly in its approach to Christian living and how to run a local church. And you see, after Paul left them, these believers, most of whom did not have much understanding of spiritual things, slipped back into some of their old ways. Now, the theme. What's the theme of this book? Well, the theme is this. It's sanctification or godly living which manifests itself in a practical lifestyle. I'm going to say that again. Sanctification, or godly living, which manifests itself in a practical lifestyle. Friends, this book teaches us that Christian living, get this now, that Christian living is a constant acknowledgement of Jesus' lordship over our lives and attests to the power of the gospel to change our lives. Listen, Jesus can take a sinner and make him or her into a saint. And Jesus can reach anyone no matter what their educational, racial, social, or moral condition and turn them into a new creation. Can I get an amen? Listen, he changes lives through the power of the gospel. Now, I chose the title Undivided for this series based out of the key verse, and that's in chapter 1, uh, verse 10. And it says this, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly united, got it? Undivided, united, undivided, in mind and in thought. You see, friends, 1 Corinthians is a frontal attack on the things that tear churches apart. This letter, this book, it's a corrective book. It's a corrective letter. It's it's full of God's instruction for getting rid of the woolly divisions among believers in the church. It's about putting to death the carnal and fleshly sins that plague believers in a sexed-up, messed-up culture. It's about living together as believers. It's about being undivided. It's about living in a way, listen now, living in a way as believers, living in a way that honors Jesus. The title of my message today is In Christ. Everyone say that. Say, In Christ. Now friends, we have no idea how 2021 is going to turn out. And last year, was a very difficult, trying year as we face and still are facing an unprecedented time in our history with the COVID 19 pandemic. Now, we don't know what this year may hold, but we do know say, we do know that our amazing God holds us in his hands. Can I get an amen? Now, perhaps, perhaps there are some things in our personal lives that we need to change. It could be habits of sin that we need to repent of. Perhaps certain attitudes or certain ways of thinking. Perhaps it's just being a lazy Christian and repenting from that. Perhaps things, problems, issues that are keeping us from living a victorious life in Christ. Now, friends, we already know from the introduction and background that the Corinthian believers were not living in a way that was pleasing to God, right? We know that, okay? They were a messy, troubled Church. But here in the text, and I love this, Paul expresses an unshakable confidence that they can and will gain the victory over their problems. You see, Paul's confidence, say confidence, Paul's confidence in their victory is based on what he knows to be true of them in Christ and what is true of us in Christ. Three points. From our text, if you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Point number one is this. Our position in Christ. Write that down and say that. Our position in Christ. This speaks of what we are in Christ. What you and I, as saved believers, are in Christ. Now let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, I want to stop there. Paul wasn't an apostle because he desired it. Rather, because God decreed it. God, God decreed it. Okay, Paul had no choice in the matter. No choice in the matter. He had a divine commission, a divine appointment from God himself. And I thank God that Paul submitted to God's call for his life. Now, people have asked me, Pastor, do you ever get discouraged and just feel like quitting the ministry. And I tell them whenever I feel like that, which is rare, which which is rare, the one thing that keeps me from quitting the ministry is the confidence that God has called me to the ministry. I didn't volunteer. He called me. You see, I never wanted to be a pastor. My desire was never to be a pastor. In fact, my desire was to evangelize, to go from city to city and church to church and to sing and to play and to give a mini sermon and then move on to the next city and to the next church. Because as an evangelist, all you need is seven good sermons and a fast bus. I never desired to be a pastor. But my mom would always tell me, she'd always tell me, mijo. You're going to be a pastor. And I'd say, ay, 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 mom. And she would always remind me, mijo, you're going to be a pastor. Well, friends, God had his way. And my mom was right. And I thank God that I submitted to his call. I've now been your pastor for 28 years. And I love it. And and I love you. That all being said, let me ask you this. What is God's call for your life? And are you submitting to God's call for your life? What has He called you to do? I just want to leave it at that. Let's read on the text. And our brother Sosthenes, and you might remember this guy from our series in the uh, in the book of Acts, and the account is found in Acts chapter eighteen. And you might remember this: when Paul uh, first came to Corinth, he his preaching stirred up a great deal of controversy, and many of the Jewish People violently opposed the Gospel, so they brought Paul before the proconsul that supervised that region, a Roman military commander named Gallio and, and and they presented their accusations to Gallio against Paul and you might remember this Gallio said to the Jews, "Settle the matter yourselves, I will not be a judge of such things." and so they, speaking of they the Jews or perhaps even some of the Gentiles all turned on Sothenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. Now they beat Sothenes because he couldn't persuade Gallio to arrest Paul. And this caused Sothenes to lose faith in the Jewish cause. And you see what God did, and I love this, what God did, God used this beating as a means to bring Sothenes to Jesus. Now it's most likely that it was Sothenes who was writing down this letter as Paul dictated it to him. Verse 2a, if you're still with me, say amen. Verse 2a says this. Paul writes, To the church of God in Corinth. Say, say church. To the church of God in Corinth. The word church in the Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia. It literally means to call out. So the church is composed of, listen now, the called out ones. Got it? The called out ones. Now, the word church was a common word in the Greek secular society and referred to an assembly of any sort of people. In the New Testament, it's given a general technical meaning referring to that group of people that God has called, listen now, to salvation through Christ from all the nations of the earth to make up His people in this present age. Isn't that awesome? Now listen, in New Testament times, they were no Baptists, there were no Presbyterians, no Assemblies of God, no Pentecostals, no Charismatics, no Apostolics, no Lutherans, no Roman Catholics, no Methodists, no Independents, etc. The denominations have come about because of theological and cultural differences. But in actuality, friends, there is only one Church of God made up of all true believers in Jesus Christ. Listen. The church is a called out group of saved people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the church of God. Acts 20, 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And Paul tells his leaders, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice what he says, Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought. With his own blood. Let's go back to the text. To the church of God in Corinth. To the church, say of God, of God in Corinth. This tells us that the local church is a divine institution established by who? By say it. By by God. Therefore, it belongs to God. It's the instrument of God. So the local church is God's primary tool for building up of the saints and reaching the lost for Jesus. Got it? Now I want you to get this. It was God's church, not Paul's church. Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth, not to the church of Paul in Corinth, but to the church of God in Corinth, right? So it was God's church, not Paul's church. And that being said, cry out, is God's church, not my church, not your church. We're just blessed and we're honored to be a part of His church. Say amen to that. Now, the amazing thing, the amazing thing is that God's church was planted in the wicked city of Corinth. You see, friends, in that pagan city surrounded by its pride, its impurity, and its compulsive rush for pleasure and for wealth, a group of believers, I love this, a group of believers had come into being by the supernatural workings of a sovereign God. So what does this teach us? Well, it teaches us that there is no place on earth so degraded, so depraved, so morally Hopeless that God's church cannot be established there. Well, there's a lesson. We always have a lesson, don't we? And here's a lesson. We're called to be His witnesses in the place He has put us. I'm going to say it again. We're called to be His witnesses in the place He has put us. We are right now at this very moment, friends, a called-out assembly that fully belongs to God. We are called to be His witnesses here in our community. Now, friends, this is my opinion. I think there is no better place to do ministry and to be witnesses for God than in the Silicon Valley. These people need Jesus. We are called to be witnesses. Amen? Witnesses in the place that God has put us. Are you a witness in your neighborhood? Are you a witness at work, if you're allowed to go to work right now? Are you a witness in your community? We are called to be witnesses in the place that God has put us. Let's move on. Verse 2b to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Say, Say sanctified. Come on, say sanctified. Sanctified means, listen now, being separated from all other common things. It means to be set apart for God's use and God's possession. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, we have been given a new position and that is, friends, that we are set apart to God. Now, Paul could have easily, easily begun this letter by chewing out these Christians for not living the way that they should be living. And he could have become angry and lashed out at them, but he didn't. He didn't. He begins by reminding these Corinthian believers about their position in Christ. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Don't forget, you have been sanctified. You have been set apart by God to be a holy, say holy, a holy people. Let's read the text, verse 2C, verse 2C, and called to be holy to those sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. Say holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. Again, 1 Peter 1, verses 15 through 16. Peter writes this, but just as he who called you who is what? Holy. So be holy in all, not some, in all you do. For it is written, be holy because he says, right? Speaking of God, God says, I am holy. Now I want you to follow me here. Since we have been sanctified, since, right, we've been sanctified and called to be holy, we have no business considering ourselves to be common, We have no right to allow ourselves to be aligned with the common and unholy things of this world. Our separation unto God is to affect every single area of our life, both private and public. So there's a lesson, and here's a lesson. You ready? Be different. If you call yourself a Christian And if you're sanctified, you are to be different. We are to be different. Set apart, sanctified from the world unto God, separate from sin, we are called to be holy. This world needs to see believers who are different. Different. Let's move on. Verse 2D. Verse 2D. Paul writes, together with all those, say all those, everywhere, say everywhere, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he says, their Lord and ours. I love that, their Lord and ours. So this letter was not just a letter for the Corinthian believers and Christians. It was for all Christians of every age. This book, the Bible, is timeless. It's for us today. It's speaking to us today. Isn't that awesome? Let's move on. Verse 3, if you're still with me, say amen. Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Say grace, mon say peace. The Greek word charis, charis, charis is grace, and the Jewish word shalom is peace. And combine them together, Paul sums up the message of the gospel grace and peace. Grace is a source of our salvation, peace is a result of our salvation. Grace is positional, peace is practical got it so we see our position in christ point number two is this point number two is our possessions our possessions in christ speaks of what we have in christ what you and i as believers have in christ now what i love about paul is that paul loved these corinthian believers even though even though they were immature in their faith and we're acting in a carnal, worldly, fleshly manner. You know what I love about Paul? He didn't throw his arms up in frustration over them and say, forget you guys, your lost cause. Nope, nope. Listen to what he says. Look at verse four. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. He loved them and had joy in them, and rejoiced in all that God had given them in Christ. He thanked God. He thanked God that they had become recipients of God's grace. Salvation, say salvation. Salvation had made them receivers and possessors of the grace of God. It was God's grace. Say that. It was God's grace, the unmerited favor of a sovereign God that had saved these wicked folks at Corinth. It was God's grace. Say that. It was God's grace, the unmerited favor of a sovereign God that saved me and you from our wicked ways. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. And I can't help but read Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. Gosh, I shall love that. And you know what? These Corinthian believers, they had been heathen, idol, worshipers, but now they were born again because of God's grace. It's the pure grace of God which gave them and gives us our position and our possessions in Christ. If you're saved. Say amen. Come on, I want to hear you. I want to be able to hear you, right? If you're saved, say amen. Listen now, if you said amen, if we said amen, we are elected, we're called, we're redeemed, justified, we're sanctified, we're reconciled, forgiven, recipients of eternal life, we're adopted into God's family, we're seated in the heavenlies and blessed with all spiritual blessings. All this and more because you and I, as saved believers, we are in Christ. In Christ. Praise God. Verse 5a, verse 5a, for in him you have been enriched. Circle that word and the line highlighted, enriched in every way. In the Greek, the word enriched is plautizo. Ploutizo. it means to be made rich. And it's the same word as is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become what? Rich. Now I want you to follow me here, okay? The enrichment Paul speaks of is one by which we are enriched in everything by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear this and get this now, okay? Paul isn't speaking of material riches. He's not speaking of material riches. Rather, he's speaking of something much more valuable. He's speaking of the spiritual riches of Christ that are all sufficient for making us into everything that He's called us to be. Now, there's a lesson, and here's a lesson. We are spiritually wealthy in everything. I'm going to say it again. We are spiritually wealthy in everything. In Christ, listen now, in Christ, we have all that we will ever need for the fulfillment, say say fulfillment, of God's will in our lives in any circumstance. Listen, church, there is no trial, no challenge Or difficult circumstance that we haven't already been given the sufficient riches of Christ Jesus Himself to meet. Ephesians 1 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in. Christ. Amen? Verse 5b. Let's move on. In all your speaking, the King James renders it as utterance in all your knowledge. The word for speaking or utterance is the word logos, uh, which means a word or a speech. The word for knowledge is gnosis. So we get our word gnostic, gnosis. These two words describe the two main components of spiritual instruction in the church. It's utterance, it's the utterance of the word and knowledge of how to understand the word and apply it to our lives. And Paul sums this up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, where he writes, where Paul writes, writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 6, if you're still with me, say amen. Verse 6, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Our testimony about Christ refers to the gospel they, we, had responded to Christ by grace. Got it? Verse 7a. Verse 7a. Therefore, love this, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Now the Corinthian believers didn't lack any spiritual gifts. They were a very gifted church. But the problem was that they they were using and abusing their gifts and arguing over which gift was more important. And Paul addresses This in chapters 12 through 14. Now listen, the New Testament lists at least 21 spiritual gifts. Now, where do we find this list of spiritual gifts? Well, I'm going to make it easy for you, okay? And and I'm going to do it this way. It's two twelves and two fours. Say that. Two twelves and two fours. Okay, so these spiritual gifts are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. And Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. And also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. And 1 Peter 4, 11. 1 Peter 4, 11. Two 12s and two fours. If you got it, say got it. Now if you're saved, say amen. If you are saved, We have at least one spiritual gift. Some have two, some have three, some have more, but we all have at least at least one spiritual gift. And God expects us, He expects you and I, us, friends, to use it in and through the local church to reach, reach you, to reach the lost for Jesus and to build up the saints. Now I want you to get this. I want you to get this. My gifts serve you, and your gifts serve me, and together we are built up in Christ. We are all a part of the ministry toward one another. So let me ask you this. Are you using your gift, or are you sitting on it? He's giving you a gift to use, and even in the midst of a pandemic, you could still use your gifts for the building up of the saints and for winning the loss to Jesus. Are you with me? And we're going to talk more about the gifts when we get to chapter 12 in our series. So we saw so far our position in Christ, our possessions in Christ. And finally, point number three is the promises we have in Christ. The promises that you and I, that we have in Christ. And this speaks of our assurance in Christ. I love that. Our assurance in Christ. Look at 7, verse 7b. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 7b. Paul writes, as you eagerly wait, love that, wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And Paul will say more about this in chapter 15. Listen, this is our hope. Say that. This is our hope. This great expectation Listen now the great expectation we have regarding the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns for us In fact Titus remember this Titus chapter two verse thirteen Titus two verse thirteen calls this what our blessed what hope our blessed hope now there's a lesson and here's a lesson and the lesson is this: live as if Jesus were to return. Today, live as if Jesus were to return today. Friends, our focus needs to be on Jesus living out his word in our lives as if he were to return today. Now, I don't know about you, But when Jesus Christ returns, I want to be caught in the act of loving him and serving him, loving others and serving others. I want to be caught in the act of doing what he's called me to do. I want to be caught in the act of doing his business. Live as if Jesus were to return today. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Verse 8a, verse 8a. He will keep you strong, say strong, in, or excuse me, to the end. He will keep you strong to the end. Now the word strong there was used as a legal guarantee for the deliverance of goods. It means to confirm, it means to secure, it means to guarantee. So I want you to follow me here. God will secure, confirm, and guarantee the Christian to the end. God, say God, God secured our salvation. God secured my salvation, your salvation, and will keep us to the very end. Listen, if God had the power to save you, and he did, God has the power to keep you saved, and he will. Let's move on, verse 8b. Aren't you loving this? Verse 8b. So that you will be blameless, say blameless, on the day Of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blameless there should be translated unaccusable or unchargeable. And you know, it's amazing to me that that Paul could express, express, excuse me, express such confidence about the Corinthian Christians' future destiny when their present behavior was anything, anything but blameless. Now listen, you see. Our problem is this. This is our problem. We see how people are now. Now, what I love about God is God sees the finished product. Now, the Corinthian Christians did grow up spiritually, but it took time. It took time. Okay, they hadn't arrived spiritually, but God sees the final product. God sees the final product, friends. God knows how the movie will end. Now, if there's someone sitting next to you, turn to them and say, you may not like what you see, but God is still working in me. Say, God is not done with me yet. Can I get an amen? In fact, Philippians 1, 6 Paul writes, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, that's a good place to say amen. God is not done with you. He's not done with me yet. He's still working in me. He's still working in you. We are a work in progress. Verse 9a. Verse 9a, and by the way, Paul saw that in these believers, and I love that about Paul. Verse 9a, God who has called you into fellowship with his son. God sovereignly called these Corinthians into fellowship, or we can say partnership with Christ. Now what happened was that they had lost a sense of Christ's fellowship. Not their sonship, but their fellowship. You see, his lordship over their lives was set aside. So they no longer lived in the awareness and also the excitement that they were partners with Christ in everything they did. And this is why, listen, this is why Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to call the people back into an awareness and excitement of what it means to have fellowship with Jesus. Paul was calling them back to the center. Well, who's in the center? My son just preached this last week. Jesus Christ is in the center. Paul's calling back to the center. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about you having fellowship with Jesus. So that being said, let me ask you. Are you daily having fellowship with Jesus? Is there an awareness and excitement in your life that you are having fellowship one-on-one fellowship with Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, through fellowship with Jesus Christ, we get direction to live the Christian life in a way that is pleasing to Him. Ray Steadman said this, When any one of us forgets this, speaking of lordship and fellowship, we drift into that terrible syndrome of recognizing the Lord on Sunday and from Monday through Saturday, living our life on our own without any recognition of His presence with us. He is no longer Lord of all our life, but only a part of it. If He is not Lord through our life all day long, then He is Lord only of the margins, only of the leftovers, only of the weekends. Listen, friends, if you're a believer, if you're saved, Jesus Christ is not to be just a part of your life. He is to be your life. He is to be my life. He is to be everything. Amen? Everything. Everything. Verse 9b. Paul writes, Jesus Christ, gosh, I love this. Jesus Christ, our Lord, what? Is faithful. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. So this tells us why Christians will be preserved to the end. Listen, it's not because we have great, indestructible faith and determination, no, but because Jesus Christ, is faithful. He will confirm and He will secure us to the end. You see, our security is grounded in His character. He is, come on, say it, faithful. Now, perhaps you have doubts at times about the reality of eternal security, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful even over your doubts. And you see, church, since He has given us this great salvation, we ought to live lives in accordance with our calling, position, and future promise that you and I will be in His presence. So as we wrap this up, as we close, to simply put it, the Corinthian believers were elected, enriched, and established. And if, listen now, and if you're saved, so are you. So knowing that, knowing that, you can face 2021 with confidence. Say that. Say confidence, confidence in your position in Christ, your possessions in Christ, and the promises you have in Christ. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your amazing word. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your, Your word is relevant, Lord. And as we face this new year, might we live with the confidence on what we know to be true of us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you, we praise you, and honor you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, friends, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your first Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today to do so. And so if that's you, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I invite you to come into my life to save me, change me, and cleanse me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. From this day forth, I will serve you faithfully until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you said that prayer, if you said that prayer to follow Jesus, we want to hear from you. In fact, you can email us at contact at cryout.org. Again, that's uh, email us at contact at cryout.org. Well, listen, friends, love you. I miss you and uh, have a blessed day and I will see you next week.